You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. And into our science and technology news for the week. If you watched the opening ceremony of the South Korean Winter Olympics, there was an amazing display in the sky of 3D images, including a snowboarder in flight. And those images were actually formed by a bunch of drones. There were 1,218 drones. These are run by Intel. It's using their Shooting Star platform. These have been used elsewhere. I believe they were used, they've been used at a Lady Gaga concert at the Super Bowl in America last year, and I think at a Disney program as well, or a Disney show, to amazing effect. It turns out because of weather and, and some last-minute logistical things that they couldn't overcome, that it wasn't a live feed we were getting. Mm-hmm. It was really it, cold. It, and it was, it's and windy. Yeah, windy, and, and obviously yeah. wind affects drones. Mm-hmm. They did make some modifications to counteract the wind. Apparently the actual housing for the propeller blades mm-hmm. was modified to compensate. Mm-hmm. But obviously if you've got strong winds, you, you've got to have more powerful batteries, mm-hmm. you've got to have more power engines. Yep. It reduces the flying time, which I think is about 20 minutes for, the, for the swarm. Some, probably some wash from that uh, propeller moving around as well for the other drones that are in the space. Yeah, yeah that, that seems to be something that they can control pretty well. Obviously, you know, the stiller the conditions, the better. Mm-hmm. Cold weather, it was, it was zero or thereabouts mm-hmm. when they were flying and that, as we both know that's not good for your lithium ion battery exactly. in, your, in your smartphone for example these drones run on uh, lithium ion batteries they're pretty small I think they're about a foot across the, the top of them they use a central computer so when they take off from the ground a central computer assigns a role within the image or images or, or, or motion that mm-hmm. they're going to have mm-hmm. for the whole for the whole program and then they communicate with a central computer not with each other when they're in the air so their position is known using GPS yep. when they formed up and, and made a 3D image of a, of a snowboarder or the Olympic rings that sort of stuff in the case of the snowboarder they actually took an image of a real snowboarder well, the in, video the, in the air or video yep. and then put that into a computer program mm-hmm. broke it up into pixels um, essentially into, yeah mapped it yep. and then fed that information to the drones and the drones formed this very realistic and, and with a swarm of, of 12 1,200 of them, you mm. get that 3D depth, which yeah. which is really impressive. So it wasn't broadcast live because of wind at the last moment, but nevertheless, a fantastic effect was achieved. And they do plan, they've got, a, I think, a, another 300 drones, which are going to do events live during the course of the Winter Olympics mm. in, in uh, South Korea, in Pyeongchang. They will also, I think, feature at the closing ceremony of that event as well. So, uh, yeah, so keep an eye out for the, the drones. That's the Intel Shooting Star platform. They do do some amazing things. One of the other applications that they might have is search and rescue operations. If you can send out a swarm and you can and you can uh, you can kind of cover a lot of area. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, other applications apart from just entertainment, but very impressive entertainment at that. Moving on with the news. The Trump administration is looking at uses for the International Space Station involving the private sector beyond the planned retirement date of 2024. Mm. They have planned for a while. It's not just the Trump administration that's been talking about 2024 as the end for the space station. Mm-hmm. I guess this is to do with aging hardware up there. It's been, it will have been there for about 25 years. Yeah. And it's been a constantly occupied human outpost in low Earth orbit. However, it's it's very costly to run. I think it's 3 to $4 billion a year is allocated towards mm-hmm. running it. There are a bunch of international partners that that participate in the International Space Station, the uh, European, European Space yep. Agency, the Russians, the Japanese, mm-hmm. Canada is 
involved, the Italian space agencies involved. Now, getting them all to agree to a, yeah. a plan to privatise it, whether it's to use it as a space hotel or whether it's to use it for some commercial purpose, training people for deep space, journeys to Mars, that kind of thing, it's going to depend on, on the reaction of those international partners as yeah. well. So it's far from a done deal. They could potentially just buy out the American share, essentially, and then they can take it on themselves if they wanted to continue the work. Well, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's $100 billion. Yeah. Uh, so it's gonna, that's what it costs, uh, I think, just the Americans to put up the majority of it in mm-hmm. launches. They use the space shuttle to get all the, the big parts of it up there and assemble it. Hundreds or thousands of hours of spacewalks, uh, extravehicular activities to go and, p- and put the whole thing together and ongoing costs. So it's going to be contentious, but you know the Trump administration, Trump is a, a guy who's made his money out of property development, mm-hmm. so he's probably looking at that, well, there's a big chunk of real estate sure. up there sitting in orbit. If it can be maintained in orbit, some of the critics of this plan say, you know, look, this has been designed to, to do scientific experiments mm. as a science, primarily a scientific not platform. A yeah. So it's not really set up for tourism. There's lots of stuff in there that's fragile. It's not like there's sort of smooth walls and bars and restaurants and all that sort of stuff mm. up there. The exact detail of, of what the private sector might actually do with the ISS after its possible retirement in 2024 is, is very unclear at this stage. So have to wait and see for what happens there. Tricky decisions being analysed by NASA at the moment. They will, of course, report back to the administration and on what it could be used for by the private sector. As we mentioned in the opening, and everyone would have seen, the Falcon Heavy launch was a huge success last week. Uh, it's now the most powerful working rocket. It launched a red sports car towards the asteroid belt. It had so much grunt that they actually succeeded in um, going past Mars. And, and they overshot the orbit. Over, overshot the orbit. They're yeah. now heading out to the asteroid board to work towards Ceres and Vesta, which we were talking about last week. It will be interesting to see what happens to that finally, whether it actually winds up in a kind of a, a big elliptical orbit that loops around the sun every so often. Often it could be in space for millions or even billions mm. of years. On the other hand, it may hit an object in the asteroid belt, and that would presumably be the end of it. Yep. But some great vision there that we all saw. A car uh, in space. A car in space with Tip- cameras attached and a dummy in a SpaceX-designed spacesuit that's, mm-hmm. that's real mm-hmm. with his hand on the wheel and one arm rested on the, the door. Yep. An amazing vision, very kind of boys' own stuff. You yeah. know, that's some of the critics have sort of said, you know, gee, they, I don't know, they could have done something other than a sports car up there. But obviously, you well, know... Previously, they'd done uh, blocks of concrete to test the load capacity. Yes, so it's and far so, more interesting. Yeah, yes. this, this captivated the world. I mean, I was glued to the stream. All day, I was sort of checking on it to see how it was going. And it was, it was the talk. And it, it created this excitement excitement about uh, space travel again. I mean, I am excited about space, but this just elevated to that next stage. Absolutely. Yeah. And and in the press conference that came after that successful launch, Elon Musk said, we want a new space race. Races are exciting. Yes. And this is what we're in now. It's unlike the space race that existed in the 1950s and 60s and perhaps early 70s, the Apollo race to the moon, that kind of stuff, which was between governments and mm-hmm. had a kind of political underpinning. It was about actually developing missile technology. Mm-hmm. In this case, this This is uh, about egos. This is about private people's ambitions and dreams and also about an interplay between the public sector and the private sector. I mean, the the thing about that that really stood out to me, the cost of launching a cargo on board this, this Falcon Heavy, is between 90 million and 150 million US dollars per launch. That depends on the configuration and, and modifications that may be required for the particular cargo being launched. But that is about a tenth of the cost that NASA would charge with their SLS system, the Space Launch System, which will be bigger than the Saturn V rocket. They're working on it now. You know, limited budgets, cost blowouts, unknown launch date. Mm -hmm. We could be waiting a long time to see that in action. That's believed to be in the order of about a billion dollars per launch.
launch. Yeah. So this is much cheaper. It's happening in a, in a much faster sort of time frame. Obviously, one of the key differences that is yet to be answered, and, and this rocket, the Falcon Heavy, Elon Musk come out and said, this will be a cargo-only rocket. Mm-hmm. The thing that's going to carry our people to colonize Mars and stuff will be the big Falcon rocket. Mm-hmm. Some people assign so, a different, a different uh, yes. yep, to the letter F in that. It's known as the BFR. That is going to be the rocket that uh, Elon Musk is going to use to take humans mm. into deep space. There's a big difference between launching a, a car with a mannequin and launching a human. That'll be the, the real test is whether they can develop. They've got a Dragon capsule, which they've been working on, mm-hmm. but whether they can successfully start to send people up to the International Space Station mm-hmm. using their own rockets, it may be just a Falcon 9 that does it. That's going to be the real test of, of SpaceX. So that's the thing to look out for. And just finally from me, open source software like Fake App can be used to generate fake news and other more innocent stuff. Actually, a bunch of platforms like Reddit and Twitter have actually banned the use of, in this case, pornographic deep fakes, where they substitute a celebrity's face mm. for a porn star's face in a, in, a, in a movie or in a still picture. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that can be distressing and libelous, potentially. So social media platforms are banning discussions of that. It doesn't mean it'll stop happening. The technology is getting... It difficult, more difficult to share on the public forum. That's, that's right. It'll go to the deep web or other platforms. But, yep. you know, Reddit and and other sites like that have huge exposure. So mm. if they can cut these uh, practices out in those major sites, that's at least one step in the positive direction. I mean, this is open source source software called Fake App. It uses algorithms and it can basically, you can just substitute, you know, you can make a mouth move to match up with the spoken word mm-hmm. quite easily. I saw some amazing stuff done with Barack Obama because they had all this, the footage of his speeches as a president. They were able to basically use, he basically says every single word. They can use this sort of technology to basically make him say anything they want. Mm. And it's very, very hard to pick. Obviously, if you're an expert, you'll pick it. Yep. But for the average person, uh, you know, just another way that fake news can be generated a little bit of a worry. It has been used for less sinister purposes. Hugh Parkinson may be known to listeners. He's been on the ABC's Insiders program and he actually won a Walkley Award for inserting Australian and international political figures into popular films and TV shows. Yeah, he uses their face and then puts that onto the characters within a a famous movie. It's very enjoyable. So in a satirical sense, that is great. But it's when it's used in a negative connotation that that's when it can be devastating to the people involved. Absolutely, absolutely. It It deserves to be restricted and controlled as, as, as is being planned. John, what have you got for us? We reported last year about the Equifax hack. This is um, in America and it was 145.5 million consumers had uh, their personal information. Social security hacked. numbers, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, and the hack last year included their names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and in some cases, and it was their driver's license number and credit card numbers. Right. There's a Senate banking committee and the, and the Atlanta-based Equifax have recently revealed a document which has actually suggested that there was actually a lot more information that has come out. This included tax identification numbers, email addresses and phone numbers, finer details including um, expiration dates of credit card numbers and issuing states for the driver's licenses. So the story is not over with this hack. There is more information uh, to come out. There is a lot more exposed than what was initially thought and it can potentially be a major problem over the next couple of years for that information. So we'll look, we'll mm. keep an eye on, on the story and what's happening with the Senate inquiry. It looks like um, they'll 
potentially get off with a you know scot free. I mean, there might be some kickback, but it's looking like a major release of this information, uh, even though it's hacked. Equifax won't be uh, in as much trouble as they deserve to be in at this stage, mm. which is a problem. Mm. News out of China: There's uh, some glasses that are being used to augment what the railway cops are seeing at the uh, railway stations. So basically, this is like um, what is a Google Glass technology. It's where you uh, have the glasses that have a camera. That camera then looks at the people that are getting on or getting off the trains and is able to then match up faces using the facial recognition technology against profiles. And what that's leading to is to sort of identify any um, you know potential suspects that might be uh, on the loose, mm. maybe people that have uh, warrants uh, out for their arrest. Mm. And so this is something that they're sort of looking to incorporate to sort of keep the safety of, of people uh, mm. around. Look, on the one hand, I see this as a, a great step forward for um, managing people in obviously a highly populated space. Mm. On the other hand, it doesn't really tell you what the failure rate of this is. Is it, you know, recognize someone, but that actual recognition is incorrect? What if they've got hat, a hat on? What if they're wearing glasses? What it, if they've got a beard? All that sort of stuff. In airports, for example, they, you know, closed circuit TV cameras and probably train stations as well, that they use facial recognition technology a lot. Yes. Do you need to have individual people walking around with, with special glasses on <laughs> as opposed to high res CCD sky, camera? Yeah. yeah. Look, I think it probably allows you access to areas that ca- cameras may not cover. Gets high a, resolution. A high resolution and also gets a quicker response as well. If You, mm. you might need to send people, you know, around, um, yep. you know, to the next station yep. to pick that yep. person. Whereas you've got a person Whereas there. you've got a person there yep. and they That's can stop idea. and ask the question. Mm. But I know that here in Australia, there's been more talk about what's happening with the, um, the closed circuit TV cameras here and then the feeds that go into those to recognise people. So connecting up profiles. The, the government already has a lot of information on our facial profile. Mm. And then is able to you know pick you up in the street with the cameras and, and actually identify certain aspects about you. So it is certainly a technology that is um, it is out there at the moment. Mm. It's becoming part of our lives. We mm. just don't happen to see it much at this. I mean, stage. look at the way you unlock your, your latest iPhone is with a look. Pick it up and it opens it up. Yep. There are problems with that, which we have reported on the show previously. Yes, now, a self-driving uh, semi truck has just made its first cross-country trip and this includes a 2,400 mile trip from Los Angeles, California to Jacksonville, Florida in five days and it travelled for hours at a time with no disengagement. So it did have somebody on board. Mm. It was a completely autonomous vehicle. It does use uh, machine learning software as well as uh, data from five cameras on board. It was able to drive itself from point A to point B uh, without having that driver involvement for for too much. There Mm. would have still need to have been a hand on the steering wheel at certain points yep. but they were basically saying this is a very successful uh, test there is a shortage of drivers in the states looking at around about 50,000 drivers as a shortage really so it's not looking to take necessarily the, the existing drivers jobs mm. what it's looking to make do is make it more productive so mm. you can have trucks going across and the drivers still being involved it just might be that they're more refreshed able to do things quicker uh, more productive mm. on there as well so mm. uh, good to see this technology uh, and you'd reckon that'd be really useful in australia i mean we've got lots of really empty roads between here and perth for example i I think we're gonna 
we would have uh, more difficult time, particularly in the remote locations. Have you, if you've ever seen some of the, the trucking TV shows that we've had from the outback of Australia, mm. they're forever breaking down, you know, due to blown tires or going into you know muddy areas. Mm. So look, th- this is where the, the driver will be really important. The truck might be able to drive itself, get to get from point A to point B, but it will come down to the driver being there as more of a mechanic or a service you right. know, person for, for yep. that truck in in future. I would yep. think. Yeah. Yep. Finally, from me, there has been um, uh, issues with some Australian government websites being used to mine cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. The way that you uh, get Bitcoin and other online digital currencies is by mining them. And you need computing power to do that. People have used graphics cards on their own computers, or you could use, say, a server computer. And servers are where you would store information for website. You know, when you go online to go to Facebook or, you know, YouTube, wherever, that information is coming from a server. What uh, was recently discovered is that there was a plugin that was being used and plugins uh, essentially support or help a site. And that plugin was used to help people that um, might have difficulty with, um, you know, low vision or dyslexia or yep. low literacy to yep. access the internet. Yep. And that's why some of these government websites had this on their because site. they've got to provide full accessibility. Exactly. Mm. So rather than, say, going after a thousand individual websites to try and hack those, the hackers decided to go after the one plugin that mm. was used on mm. the, all these Smart. Uh, websites. Mm. And what that did was it then installed uh, the software required to mine this cryptocurrency. Turn them into Look, slaves. It, Exactly. Look, it was discovered and within about four hours, I believe, it was then taken down. But it, it just goes to show you know, how vulnerable we are. And this wasn't just in Australia. It was around the globe. It was a UK specialist that found it on UK sites as well. There is a list that's available for those that are con- you know, concerned. But it does appear that uh, most, if not all, have been identified. And I do believe that the plug-in behind it is has gone offline in order to uh, address these concerns. There's also that great website you've mentioned on the show before. I think it's Have You, have, have you Been Porn? Have I Been Porn? Have I Been Porn, yeah. which, uh, which you can you can put your uh, email, email address, address into yeah. or a username and it'll actually do a search and tell you whether you've been hacked or not. Because so it keeps all the data records. It gets a copy of what has been hacked and then stores uh, that information securely mm. then just matches you up. What's the web address again? Can you say? It's have I been pwned. So pwned. Yeah, P-W-N-D yep. yeah, dot com. And I, look, just do a search, have I been pwned? Mm. That will, should be the first result that comes up on exactly. Google Exactly, that's search. a good place to start if you're concerned about uh, security and whether you might have been hacked. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.